Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 5. The Domain of the Dead. We've met the Olympians who lived on Mount Olympus and watched over the lives of the mortals. Now it is time to meet properly the last of the great gods. This god, though, did not watch over the lives of the mortals. No, Hades was god of the underworld, and he only got to meet the mortals when they were dead. The underworld was originally called Tartarus, but soon came to be known by the name of its king, Hades. There were many regions of the underworld, which we will explore now as we accompany a dead soul on its journey. Very few were allowed to enter the underworld and return to the surface. Only the king and queen, Hades and Persephone, Hecate, the goddess of witchcraft, Thanatos, the god of death, and Hermes were allowed in and out. When a mortal died, Hermes would escort the soul, which was called a shade, to the edge of the underworld. The border between the world of darkness and the world of the living was a river called the Styx. Forever waiting for Hermes and the souls of the dead was a ferry which was captained by the ferryman of the dead, Charon. Charon looked a bit like a scruffy sailor and was glum and grim, but he was not unkind. A coin would be placed in the mouth of the dead person by the people who buried him. Whenever Hermes arrived at the ferry with one of the dead, Charon took the coin as his payment and then slowly ferried the shade across the river into the realm of Hades. Once the dead arrived on the other side of the Styx, they were greeted by Hades' dog, the three-headed child of Echidna called Kerberos. The frightening creature wagged its tail and licked the newly arrived person. He was very welcoming. It was only if anyone tried to leave the underworld that he turned nasty. The escaping shade would be attacked. The Styx wasn't the only river of the underworld. The place of the dead was surrounded by five rivers, each having their own nature. One of them was called the River Lethe, and was the river of forgetfulness. The first place the shade came to was called the Asphodel Fields. When a shade arrived here, he was stopped at a place where three roads met by a judging panel, who decided whether he was very good, very bad, or somewhere in between. If he was judged to be good, then he went to the Elysian Fields, where they had loads of parties and music, and it never got dark. If the shade was judged to have been evil when it was alive, then it was sent straight down into the punishment fields of Tartarus. This place was reserved for the really, really bad people. It was there that the giant Titios, punished by Apollo and Artemis for attacking their mother, existed forever with vultures eating his liver. An ancient king of Lydia called Tantalos was punished in Tartarus for offending the gods, although it is not quite clear exactly what his crime was. He was forever hungry and thirsty. Although there was water and fruit all around him, he never got to eat or drink. Every time he reached out for an apple, it would suddenly be blown away in the wind. If he tried to drink some water, then it would suddenly flow away. The most tortured soul in the underworld, though, was a chap called Sisyphus. This man was known as a great trickster when he was alive, and was even able to trick the gods. He told tales about Zeus and his girlfriends, and made the king of the gods so angry that he was determined to have his revenge. He sent Thanatos up to the world of men to kill Sisyphus, and force him into the underworld. Sisyphus, though, tricked the god of death and tied him up. This was a big problem, as it meant that for a while no mortal could die. How can anyone die when the god of death can't get at them? Ares was sent to deal with the situation, and he freed Thanatos, who carted Sisyphus down to Hades. The trickster had another one up his sleeve, though. 
Before he died, he persuaded his wife not to perform a funeral and put a coin in his mouth. He arrived in the underworld during the months that Persephone was there, and he was brought before her. "'I shouldn't be here,' he said innocently. "'I've not been buried properly. Let me go back to the upper world and arrange for the burial to be done. I will be back within three days.' Persephone agreed, but Sisyphus, of course, did no such thing. He just went back to his old life and carried on living. He lived to a very good age. Once he arrived in the underworld for the final time, though, the judges of the dead had a terrible punishment in store for him. They showed him a huge block of stone and told him to roll it up to the top of a hill and release it to roll down the other side. For all eternity, Sisyphus rolled the stone up the hill, but he never made it to the top. Every time he was nearly there, the stone got too heavy for him and rolled back to the bottom. Every time this happened, the weary man had to start again. Many dead shades who had been bad while they were alive were punished with pointless tasks. The daughters of a man called Danaos had murdered their husbands. They were made to constantly fill buckets with water and carry the water away, but the buckets leaked and they never managed to get any. Ochnos, whose only crime was to have a wife who spent all of his hard-earned money, was forced to endlessly plait a rope. As fast as he managed to plait the rope, a donkey would eat it, so he never made it any longer. Most shades ended up going straight back to the Asphodel fields, where they would exist forever in a gloomy place, where only Orion could be bothered to hunt the ghostly deer. Before spending an eternity here, the shade would drink from the river Leith, the river of forgetfulness, and then forget everything that had happened in their lives. The Asphodel fields were dark, grey, and very, very dull. The fields were covered with a grey weed. Everything was grey. This doesn't sound like much fun but this is where most of the shades ended up. Beyond the Asphodel fields was Erebus, which contained the palace of Hades and Persephone. The palace was magnificent, and the lord of the underworld lived in luxury. He was thought to be very rich, because all of the precious metals, like gold and silver, were dug up from beneath the earth. He was given another name, Pluton, meaning wealthy. This is where the Romans got their name for him, Pluto. Hades could leave the underworld if he wanted to. He was free to travel all over the world if he chose to, but he didn't leave the palace very often. Whenever he travelled up to the earth, he preferred to wear his favourite thing, the Helmet of Darkness. This made him invisible, which made it much easier for him to travel around without terrifying the mortals. Although Hades was, like his brothers, generally just and fair, and not at all evil, he was god of the underworld. If people saw him, they generally assumed they would be dead before too long. There were not too many temples to Hades on earth. Not many people worshipped the god of the dead. When Hades did leave the underworld, it was generally for the same reason that his brothers travelled among the world of men. They really wanted to travel among the world of women. Although Hades was very much in love with Persephone, he still liked to have the odd girlfriend too. Because of who he was, and the fact that he was a bit scary, he usually used the same method of acquiring girlfriends as the one he used to acquire his wife. A nymph called Mintha was treated to the sight of Hades in his magnificent chariot bursting out of the ground. Apparently, she was quite impressed and was about to get in and ride off with Hades, but Persephone, like Hera, wasn't going to let her husband get away with it. She turned the poor girl into a plant, but she let the plant smell sweet. This is how the plant Mint came into the world. Persephone was a kind and fair god. 
Unlike Hera and some of the other female gods, she was perfectly happy with her husband and didn't go finding mortals to have children with. When she was in the underworld, she sat and talked with one of the other of its residents, Hecate, the goddess of witchcraft. Hecate was also the Greek goddess of the crossroads. She had three heads. She was usually seen with two ghost hounds that were said to serve her. Although she was the goddess of witches, Hecate did some very good things in her time. As we know, she helped to rescue Persephone. She was also said to appear when the ebony moon shines, which is when the moon is completely dark because the sun is not shining on it. So, we have met the dwellers of the underworld and got to know a little bit about the realm of the dead. Hades, Persephone, Kerberos and the rest never allowed the shades to return to earth once they had arrived. They remained in the dark place forever. Except that on a few occasions, they didn't. We have already met Sisyphus, who tricked his way back to the world of the mortals. Before we leave the underworld to Hades and his friends, we will tell one more tale of someone who escaped. Orpheus was the son of Calliope, one of the muses. He was the best mortal singer and musician in the whole world, and people flocked to hear him play. He could tame wild animals with the beauty of his music. He travelled on the Argo with Jason, and we will hear a little bit more about that adventure later in our story. Orpheus was a worshipper of Hecate. When he was a young man, Orpheus married a nymph called Eurydice, who was as beautiful as the music he made on his lyre. They were very happy together, but their happiness did not last long. After the wedding, just as the wedding party was getting going, Eurydice walked with her friends and family in some long grass. Suddenly, without warning, she was attacked by a satyr, and she was forced to run away. Unfortunately, she was not able to look carefully enough where she was going, and she fell over. Even more unfortunately, she fell into a nest of poisonous snakes called vipers. The inevitable happened, and one of the snakes bit the poor girl. She died almost immediately. Orpheus was heartbroken, but Eurydice was buried, and Hermes arrived to take her to the underworld. Pretty soon her shade had crossed the sticks, and she was gone. Orpheus, though, could not bring himself to let his wife go and he came up with a plan. He would travel to the underworld and ask Hades if he could take her back into the world of the living. Now, this was a stupid idea. Nobody was let back into the world of the living. Sisyphus had managed it, but he'd had to play a trick, and anyway, it didn't really end well for him. Orpheus, though, was not going to be put off. The great musician travelled to the edge of the underworld and reached the sticks. Charon met him, and Orpheus sang for the ferryman of the dead. The music was so beautiful that Charon carried him across the river and he didn't even ask for payment. Across the river waited Kerberos. The three-headed pet of Hades was surely not going to let Orpheus pass, was he? Orpheus paid his lyre and sang again, and amazingly the terrifying hound of the dead let him pass. Finally Orpheus arrived at the palace and stood before Hades and Persephone. Again he played the lyre and again he sang. Now, Orpheus was the best musician the mortal world had ever known, and his music was always wonderful. In front of the king and queen of the dead, though, Orpheus played the most perfectly beautiful music that had ever been played. All of the shades stopped and listened. Even the shades being punished in Tartarus heard the music, and for a few minutes forgot about their suffering. Sisyphus stopped rolling his great boulder, which suddenly felt a little less heavy. The daughters of Danaos stopped trying to fill their buckets, and Ochnos stopped plaiting his rope. 
Tantalus forgot how hungry he was, and the horrible vultures stopped eating Titios's liver. Even Hades was charmed. He told Orpheus he could take Eurydice back to the world of the living. There was just one condition. Orpheus had to lead the way out, and he must, must, not look back at his wife until he could see the light of the sun. The happy couple were delighted and began to make their way out. They crossed back over the river Styx and made their way out. Just as they were about to reach the surface, though, Orpheus looked back to make sure his wife still had enough strength for the last part of the climb. As he did so, he realised what he had done, and watched in horror as Eurydice slipped away and fell down, 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 and back into the world of the dead. Orpheus was devastated. When he returned to the land of the living, he wandered around endlessly grieving for his wife. He refused to join in any of the festivals, including that of Dionysus. We all know what happens to people who refuse to join in the celebrations of the god of parties, and it was no different for poor Orpheus. He was torn apart by Thracian maenads. His head, still singing beautiful music, and his lyre floated out to sea, and washed up on the shores of the island of Lesbos. Here the muses gathered the pieces of his body and then buried him near where he was born. A nightingale sang over his grave, more beautifully than any other bird in Greece. His lyre was placed in the stars, where it became the constellation Lyra. Orpheus descended to the underworld. This time, of course, he was let in. After all, he was dead. He was probably the happiest shade in the underworld, as he was united with Eurydice. He held his wife in his arms and gazed at her. At last he was allowed to look at her, without the fear of losing her again. We will revisit the underworld a few more times as we carry on through our story. For now, though, it is time to leave Hades and Persephone to look after the shades as we return to the surface. Now that we have met the gods, next time we will start to tell the tales of the people of ancient Greek myth. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.